Hey everybody, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. My name is Terry Berger, subbing for Bill Allen today. Listen, this is a bonus top secret episode. Bonus top secret episode. I realized that one of our Seven Figure Flipping members actually works for Indeed.com. And after doing the last three episodes on hiring, this guy really should have done all three of those episodes, to be honest with you. So he's going to bring the goods to you. Waylon McGill out of Toronto, Canada. He's a house flipper, wholesaler, um, buy and hold investor, and is doing great things in Toronto, Canada. But more than that, he works at Indeed full time, and he's got some gold bombs to share with you today. And you don't want to miss it. I have literally sitting here four or five pages of notes. So get ready to go with Waylon McGill and let's get rolling. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity, and that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. So if you were to say, like real quick, if you were to say Toronto, would it be Toronto, Ontario, Canada? Is that how you would say it or would it be Toronto, Canada? I would just say Toronto, Canada. Yeah, that's how I would, that's how we would say it here. I'll that's take why I know Ontario. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome, Waylon, to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. So glad you're here, man. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. I'm super, super pumped to be here. It was so much fun uh, with everybody down in Cancun. So looking forward to catching up. Yeah, great. Waylon, uh, Waylon McGill, he's uh, in Seven Figure Altitude and he is from Toronto, Canada. How are things up there uh, these days in the, in the house flipping and wholesaling world, Waylon? It's interesting time. I think like right now we've got, we've had just crazy price appreciation in the past year. So in many cases, close to 40%. Um, so on the seller side, you have very few people who aren't aware that it's a crazy market and that has been going for way over asking. Um, but on the investor side, you have a lot of apprehension starting to creep in. So even though the gains have been huge and the projections are that it's likely to continue a little bit, um, investors are really pulling back. So you're kind of getting pressure on both sides right now. And mm. as a result, we started taking down more stuff to either flip or to, to burr ourselves because um, the margins are getting squeezed a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, I know this isn't about house flipping or wholesaling, but um, I really feel like we are in a spot where some of the, like you said, the investors are pulling back because you got all these lumber prices rising and all these material costs rising and all, all the craziness that's surrounding the real estate market is causing some trepidation, not necessarily panic, but definitely some conservatism on the investor's part. Yeah, I think it's it's not that like people think the sky is falling. It's more they're not confident that we're not going to see a correction. And so mm -hmm. they're just kind of everybody's kind of tightening up their requirements. And if you want to monetize the same number of deals or percentage of deals as you were before, you probably need to find a way to take some stuff down yourself. And so that's, that's what we've been focused on doing. That's great. Well, uh, Waylon was in Cancun, like he said, and um, this is a bonus episode and I'm so excited for Waylon to be here because Waylon, who do you work for? I work for indeed.com, the job site. Nice. 
And I know that we use in my um, householding company, we use Indeed pretty much exclusively um, to hire. And I love it. Um, it's been great. I've taught on it I've, on the back end. But in Cancun, um, I had never met Waylon before. And so we're kind of going back and forth. And Bill's answering some questions in one of the, the larger rooms. And all of a sudden, this guy's dropping gold bombs on hiring. I'm like, who is this dude? I have no idea who this guy is. And then he ends up in my room in the hot seats and was just kind of laying it out there on hiring. And so, man, I'm grateful that you're here. Podcast land is grateful that you're here because, gang, what you're about to hear is going to blow your mind. So, Wayland, um, you know, where would you like to go with this podcast? Because you've got to, you've been thinking about this for a couple of days. I'll tell you, we started out with two podcasts that kind of the how-tos of hiring stuff that I do uh, in my company. And some of it kind of mirrors what you do. And then we did a roundtable discussion. And uh, in the roundtable discussion, we had three other um, investors from the Seven Figure Flipping Group there. And, um, you know, some of the stuff they kind of took advice on and some of it they didn't. They're out there in the real world. One guy, Waylon, he's, um, uh, he's working 50 hours a week at his job, probably similar to yours, right? And he's, mm-hmm. he's virtually wholesaling three hours away and trying to hire two people. So... Busy guys. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. So where do you want to see this go today? So I think like there's a couple different, uh, you know, areas that I think we should probably go to. I think one is definitely like getting the right candidates is, is a challenge. Um, but even when we're getting the right candidates, that doesn't necessarily mean we're making the right hires. So I think that there's a couple different areas. One, how do we get more of the, of the type of people that we want? And then how do we make sure we actually hire the right person? I think that there's a lot of hiring mistakes out there. I think there's, um, to me, there's nothing more important than who's on your team. If you want to win, like having a great coach is amazing, right? If you're in professional sports, having a better coach in the other team is good. Um, but the team that has the best players typically has the best chance to win. And so I think that really focusing on the caliber of individuals that are on your team is something that you should be spending a significant amount of time on and something that we tend not to. Right. So if you if you look at how much time as a sales manager, do you spend um, helping your team sell deals versus how much time you spend checking references for people you're going to hire? Often it's going to be maybe you don't even check references. Right. Um, And then you can end up with some bad hires that there's no amount of coaching and selling with them. That's going to change the fact that this is a person who's not really interested in, in being a high achiever. All right, so that's great. Let's let's focus on that one, that first one. How do we get what we want? And I'm assuming that's the attraction piece, right? How do we get the right candidates in the funnel? What are yeah. your best tips and tricks for that? So first off, like I think that Indeed is a great tool and it, it's where more hires are gonna come from that platform than anywhere else. Um, but in, another source not to sleep on is just your your social media presence for your business. I think that within this, you know, real estate, house flipping, wholesaling community, there's a lot of people that want to do what we're doing and that want to be involved. And so if you can hire someone who's already a fan of what you do and is super excited, um, you can get great hires that way and they don't cost you anything. Um, It's just, are you on social media promoting what you and your people are doing, like the deals you're wholesaling, the houses you're flipping? Because if you've got a decent presence that way, you can get a lot of your hires from that and a lot of your best hires. Um, When we're talking about Indeed or any other hiring platform, I think that 
there's been a real shift where employees have a lot more power now than they had 10 years ago, right? Like I remember my first sales job I took was a hundred percent commission sales job. I wouldn't have taken that job today because I would have known of a bunch of other companies that were offering something more competitive. So I started out at a Xerox uh, agency. So selling Xerox copiers, hundred percent commission. That's who was advertising on online on the platforms that we had in Canada, like monster and workopolis. Um, with Indeed, it's really transformed things in that it's given job seekers the ability to really know what their options are. You know, almost every job is going to be on there. Uh, that's the goal of, of Indeed. So you're actually competing with way more people than you were 10 years ago, right? So right. what are you actually doing to stand out? Why should someone want to work for you than anyone else? I think a very small percentage, maybe 10% of the ads I see on Indeed do even a half decent job of saying what they offer, like, why would you want to come and be a part of what I'm building over here? Right? So what's in it for the job seeker is, 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 is kind of the language that I use when I'm talking internally at Indeed, or when I'm talking to one of our clients, like the best people are going to want to work for the best companies. They're going to want to work for people who have a lot to offer. And yet in our job descriptions, often that stuff's not even there. Oh man, that's gold. What's in it for the job seeker is what I wrote down. Yeah. yeah. And I want I would want to lead with that. Like that's the, for, and sometimes you'll tell people and they'll bury it at the end. It's like, people are not necessarily reading your whole job description, right? They're reading the beginning. It's very easy to apply now, like one button typically. So there's a couple of things with that one, be mindful of the length of your job post, right? If, if they're only going to read 50% of your job posting, why not make it half as long? And maybe they read the whole thing and it's, it's, you've selected which of those ideas they're going to be seeing versus just like the randomness of kind of scrolling through it. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely leading off the top with what's in it for them, because I don't care what the responsibilities and requirements are if I'm not interested in what the company has to offer. And it also just kind of says, how do you think as an employer? Well, if all of the stuff that you want is at the top, and what you have to offer is at the bottom, it probably gives you an idea of how that employer sees things, which is I'm the employer and what I want is most important and like what you want is secondary. Yeah, that's great. So lead with the good stuff. How, so is there kind of a general rule about the, um, the length of your post, particularly for like smaller companies like ours? Yeah, so like, I'm not sure exactly what the, the metrics are these days, but like certainly under 2000 characters, um, you're going to get generally better performance. The more entry level the role, typically the shorter the job description is going to be, right? Um, if yeah. you have a more sophisticated role, you're looking for a COO, you're probably going to need to include more there. But, you know, if you're in there a thousand to fifteen hundred characters, you're in you're in definitely in the sweet spot for sure. Okay. Um, and really whatever you can do, like consider that most people are going to see this on mobile, like big paragraphs don't look good on, I mean, any platform, but certainly once you get onto a phone or a tablet or something like that. So breaking things up, using bold headings, bullet points and things like that, just to make it easier on the eyes. Cause people will click in and they'll just kind of see this, this mess of an ad and they'll just click out. Right. doesn't look professional. Um, and it's not easy to read. And it's just like, because when they're searching in a lot of these markets, like if it's a sales role, there might be, you know, in Toronto, we probably got 3000 open sales roles. Mm. Like how are you going to, how are you, every little thing you do at that point becomes really important to differentiate. 
And if your ad is laid out cleanly and the stuff that I'm most concerned with is right at the beginning and you tell a good story about your company and, and where you're going, something that people actually would want to be a part of, um, I think that's ultimately the most important thing. You can't compete with like Google and Indeed and Facebook in terms of overall brand power, but you can still tell a story where people get engaged and want to be part of that, where they can be more significant than they could be, for example, at a big company. So it sounds a little bit kind of like uh, Russell Brunson teaches this um, concept of the hook story and the offer. It sounds a little bit like that, right? Yeah, no, I've, I've read some Russell Brunson. I never thought of it that way, but that's, yeah, that's exactly, it's exactly it. It's like it, a job posting is an advertisement. And I think that's something that gets lost on people in recruitment is it's a marketing effort. You're marketing, you know, just like we market to buy houses, you know, you're marketing to get candidates, your mark. And it's not like what, what, what do they have to offer us? Because unless you have something great to offer them, the really good people aren't, they're not going to be in the running. They're just not going to be applying to your jobs. There's a hundred other postings for that admin assistant um, to apply to on, you know, with one click, why should they choose you? And I think that really spending time to figure out what that is, is important, you know, with doing stuff like uh, the traction series where you're coming up with core values and stuff like what can you do to sort of make it feel like you're doing something special that people should want to be involved in. Okay. So uh, I've kind of gone round and round about this, right? So, you know, it's really interesting. I don't think I've ever been on the platform as an employee looking for a job. Right. So I would think that would be something that might be valuable for me as a company owner to go in and start looking for the job that I'm trying to post myself. Right? 100%. And then look at the competitive postings. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no uh, points for originality in your job post. You know, it's so if you've got, you know, people in your marketplace that are looking for similar types of employees, go look at those postings. If they're offering, you know, something in their posting that they offer their employees seems like something of value that you could be offering. You might want to consider offering that, but there's probably lots of great stuff about working at your company that you just don't even think of because you've been in it for so long and you'll read other people's postings and you'll be like, Hey, that sounds great. And we offer that too. Why is that not in our job posting? So like the, the ability to research your competitors, it's, it's so great. They're all there. You can see all of their jobs. Um, go in and see what they're talking about and take the stuff that uh, obviously you want to rewrite stuff. You don't want to just be copying, pasting yeah. job postings, yeah. but use them to get ideas because sometimes sitting in front of the screen, it's not the best way to generate ideas when there's so many people out there already done some of the legwork for you. Yeah, that's fascinating too. And I, what I notice is an employer, like I'm in my dashboard daily, sometimes multiple times a day, uh, digging around, trying to sort through candidates. But um, I have on my phone, I've got the Indeed app and they kind of discontinued the employer version of that. And they just have the employee version. And what's interesting is like, I had no idea that they could go in and look at reviews. So we had a guy leave our company um, who we treated really well. We gave him some performance metrics that he had to hit. Well, he got mad at us and quit and then went in and put a bad review on our company on Indeed, um, basically saying certain things about our company that were not true, but yet here that review was out there. And so then all of our employees, uh, I said, hey, would you all voluntarily give a review to help out? And I didn't even know that your employees could come in and review your company. Yeah, it's a big thing, right? It's like, you think about how many, like, 
if I'm buying a, a $15 product off Amazon, I'm probably reading like three or four reviews, which kind of seems insane. <laughs> it's like, it's 15 bucks, but like, think about as a job seeker, if like Indeed and Glassdoor have an affiliation now, the parent company of Indeed bought Glassdoor. So um, when you do a search for your company, one of the first, the two of the first pages that are gonna come up are the Glassdoor company page and the Indeed company page. So if I'm a, like a, just a job seeker and I type your company name in, those things are going to be near the top of the list. And what's being said on there, like you've got a great ability to influence that narrative. One, like, do you actually upload stuff to your company page? Like I know a lot of companies in our industry do a lot of great work giving back to the community. Um, wouldn't it be great if anybody who's potentially interested in your company could see a video about an event that you did right there? Hmm. Like the type of stuff that you can do to differentiate where it's like, here's a bunch of people all wearing the same company t-shirt. They all look really happy. It's at this like fundraising event and we've raised this much money, even though we're not a huge company. These are the types of things that you can put on there that are going to attract people to what it is that you're doing and attract that like high quality candidate. When it comes to the reviews, like it's like anything else, right? That you wanted an unbiased review platform. And what that means in part is like the company managing it, you kind of want them to stay out of it and leave it, you know, like you think overall, like sure, there'll be some false complaints or, or false uh, narratives on there. But if it's a good company, the, the positive reviews will outweigh the negative, right? Um, and going on there and responding when people write negative things, I think is the best thing to do. Uh, look, not everyone's going to have a great experience working at your company, even if it is a great company. Um, but the mere fact that you engage with people when they write negative things and you do it in like, you keep a positive tone, you're professional about it. You're not trying to like throw this person under the bus. Um, but you engage with them and you're thoughtful about it. And you're like, that's, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that that was your impression of whatever this thing is. Like, that's something that we're going to look at. Like just a company that takes the complaints of people who work there seriously, I think distinguish you from people who don't respond in any way. We do know that job seekers um, do look favorably on, on people or uh, companies that respond to their negative reviews. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I did, I, I responded back and kind of that same deal. And, and if, if we do that on our Google reviews too. We don't always get five-star reviews on Google. Sometimes somebody will just have an ax to grind because our flooring contractor, we had at one time had a flooring contractor put in cardboard and under the under the um the laminate and when they you know and i'm like we would have never done that had we known about it we'd have fired that guy on the spot right but they find yeah. it two years later and you know they blame our company for it even though it was our our flooring contractor um really important that you go in and, and know right know that that is the potential that they can be reviewed um i mean here's my gripe and i'm just going to kind of maybe put this in the uh, in the, uh, the, the offer box here, like we get a lot of no shows, right. With our, our interview process. And so we started down this rabbit trail a little bit of, okay, I, I can either get mad about the no shows or yeah. I can text them or message them and say, Oh no, we must've done something wrong. Um, I'm just curious why you didn't show up for your interview. We were really excited to talk to you. And I'm shocked at how many people have gotten back to us and said, oh, you know, we thought you were a scam. Um, we thought uh, companies like that didn't really care. 
We thought it was a robo uh, response. You know, what are your what are your thoughts there to get more engagement in terms of interviews? Yeah. So first off, I want to be very clear. Like, I'm not here representing Indeed. I'm not right. Like, um, I'm not a spokesperson for the company. And like, um, anything I say is just like one guy's opinion who happens to work in Indeed. So I do, like, I do get a decent amount of experience seeing these things and like seeing which of your clients are successful, which is versus which of your clients are not as successful. So I think one thing is just to like recognize that it's not as hard to get an interview now and anything that's easier, easy come, easy go. Right. So part of the thing is, is like, it makes it better for everyone. I think if it's easier for people to apply, because it could be so hard, like people have a regular life going on, plus they're doing their full-time job. When is it that they're going to write a customized resume for every opportunity that they want? Right. Mm -hmm. So The fact that it's really easy to apply, I think overall is a great thing for everybody, but it also means like I might apply to 10 jobs and you're one of the first to contact me and I'm interested, but then three other contact me that I'm more interested in. And so I just kind of ghost you because we don't really have a relationship and it didn't really take me, I didn't invest a lot to get that, um, to get that interview. Um, so I think some of the similar stuff applies. Like, I think that if you talk to Google, they probably have a lot fewer low sh- uh, no shows than you do or I do. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is because people are excited to work there. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that there are reasons that people are no showing. Some of them have to do with your company and your brand positioning. And some of them just have to do with the fact that like, as it becomes a little bit easier to do these things that people are less invested in the process. Hmm. Um, right. So um, I think the same stuff applies Like have a good company page, be on there telling your story. Like you can use rich content, like video and stuff like that. Same thing with, with Glassdoor, like build out on those sites. Uh, and it, we've all, I think most of us have somebody who's like social media or graphics, like somebody who does that type of work within our business. Once we get to a certain size, maybe it's a VA or whatever, but like investing some time on your company pages on those platforms to make sure that you're showing everyone the best that you have to offer that's going to help you stack rank when they've got 10 people they applied to which three are they actually going to follow through on the interviews with probably the people who've shown the most value to them as an employer. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I mean, I thought the same thing. As soon as you said it's super easy for them to apply with one button, I was like, Oh, well, that's the alarm bell that went off in my head. That's the reason, you know, I kept wondering what the reason was. And because I'm not out there as an employee looking for a job, I haven't applied for job on indeed and most of us entrepreneurs and company owners are not going to um so that makes total sense to me but i I gotta Um, say i really do think it's overall to our benefit because hmm. especially like the highest quality employees are probably the ones who are least going to invest time in your product like i'm really great like let's say i'm using this hypothetical i'm really great at my job i'm busy i have a busy life i'm not going to go like jump through a whole bunch of uh hoops in order to get an opportunity with your company Hmm. you know what i mean Yeah. So you're saying then, let's say I have a position that requires a disc profile or something to that nature. It's better to save that until later or put it in your job description now? I would want to interview first um, because one, like a lot of people, they're not going to know necessarily what that is or where they score on that. And they might think, well, am I going to invest the time doing this thing for a company I don't really know yet? Uh, 
if I don't, like, I don't even know what this thing is. So I would say like, you want to be able to have an opportunity to talk to them about your company, your story and what they could accomplish with you uh, prior to kind of putting stuff on them. There are tools yeah. and stuff um, like indeed does have some tools like um, assessments. I'm not sure uh, what it's like, oh, yeah. how much they're used, um, but there's some things you can do, but again, it comes down to like the more, um, if you ask them to do a bunch of stuff, you just kind of limit it to people who have the time to do that. And one of the groups of people that will have the time to do that are people who don't necessarily have jobs currently. And that's not always who you want to be recruiting from. Sometimes you want to be taking top talent from elsewhere. Oh man, that's a gold bomb. I, I had been using that as a sorting tool that, that people that really want to work for us are going to go and complete this survey, right. That we want um, where, Okay, so then let me let me kind of step back as, you know, wholesalers and house flippers. I mean, we're running with our hair on fire anyway, particularly those that have full time jobs like you. Right. So what are your thoughts on like group interviewing? Like because we, we had 500 applicants for one position. And so I thought that the survey I needed to use to, to kind of filter them, it would filter them out into these different profiles. Right. And then that profile, I would only interview the sales profiles, let's say. Um, and that was a sorting mechanism for me. But I, now that I think about it, and the, the other angle is, well, you might have found a better candidate had you done an interview and then ask them at once that you kind of hook them on your company, then have them go and, and fill out these profiles. So my question to that is, we can do that in our company, but I'm thinking that we would have to do group interviews. So I think... Like, it's amazing that you're getting 500 applicants. So I would say like your strategy is really going to switch up depending on all of the particulars of your situation. There's not like a strategy on Indeed that it's like, this is how you should use Indeed. Um, a lot right. of it comes down to like, if you're struggling to get candidates, anything that you do that lowers the number of candidates you get is probably not going to be a great strategy. But if you're like getting tons of traction, then absolutely I would take advantage of things like assessments up front where you can, because you're not probably not even going to go through 500 resumes effectively. You know what I mean? So if you can say, even if 25% of those people are willing to fill out these assessments, like that's still over a hundred applicants filling out assessments, there should still be some fantastic candidates in there. Um, and you are right. The people who are more willing to put in that work, they are showing an additional level of commitment. There, there is that side to it too. So I'd say if you're struggling for candidates, I wouldn't do anything up front. But if you've got lots, absolutely put up, put assessments in and things like that so that because it's a return on time, right? Like you don't have time to effectively screen 500 people probably as a small business. Right. Um, so getting that number to a more manageable size, I actually, I think that's a fantastic idea. That's in your case, I wouldn't really change much about that. But if you like going back to what you said earlier, if we're writing a really good hook at the beginning to talk about the benefits to them. And maybe we put in a little like um, to help out with no shows. We we put in we had a little video created about what it's like to work here, and we had some old yep. B-roll footage and stuff from other projects and things. So uh, um, we had a videographer put that stuff together, and he did a Zoom interview with each of our because we're work from home. So he did yeah. a, a Zoom interview with everybody. He's like the audio quality is terrible, and I said I don't care. It's about seeing them in their home environment doesn't the audio doesn't have to be perfect right i yeah. want the person in, that wants the job to see them working in their bedroom or wherever it is yeah. and um 
one thing, Waylon, because you talked about that, I'm always editing my job title. So for example, Indeed had some, they have their kind of natural, you might want to name it this, you might want to name it that, these really cool algorithms that they, they, they analyze your stuff. And so I had an appointment setter position and it was like appointment setter slash sales. And I ran that for a couple of weeks and, and we're in three markets. So we wanted to hire somebody in one of our three markets, appointment mm-hmm. setter slash sales. And I was like, okay, that's, that seems to be the best one. If Indeed's telling me that's the best one, I'm going to go with it. And then I'm going to tweak after I see what happens for a week or so. Because yeah. I'm assuming they're investing millions in these algorithmic suggestions, right? Yeah. So again, like this is just one guy who works at Indeed and, uh, you know, I, I'm not an engineer, um, but when it's making suggestions, my understanding is that it's based off of what are the most, con- like when you type into Google, like, you know, what is, uh, it starts telling you what comes up next. My understanding is that's, it says that it suggests it because those are the things people are most commonly typing. So it's definitely a good way to understand like what's, what's likely to get picked up by or, or what's likely to pick up more job seeker queries. So I think like this brings us back or brings me to a good point about um, people can get like really cute with their job titles and mm-hmm. it's not a good idea on a platform that is ultimately a search engine. Right. So like people like, you know, maybe they say something like, Oh, we're looking for a digital marketing ninja. Yeah. And it's like, okay. It tells me something about the company. That's cool. Like they've got like kind of a laid back their fun place. Unfortunately, like I'm probably not typing Ninja into the search engine, which means that somebody who said just digital marketing specialist is more, that job's more likely to come up more quickly because it matches the natural search query more. So instead of like coming up with cute names or like being like, well, our job's not quite the same as what most people who have this job title have. So I'm going to come up with this separate new thing. It's like, the problem is that's not what people are typing in. So if you want to get more visibility, have being kind of generic in your names and keeping them like, so for appointment center slash sales, I might say like in tech sales, we have different titles, sales development rep, business development rep, uh, market development reps at some companies that basically all refer to the same thing. And that is somebody whose job is to set appointments for someone else to come in and close. So I'm not saying that this will necessarily perform better, but if someone's looking for that type, they're like, oh, I want to get into sales. And I know that like sales development role is a pretty good one to get started with. I might just call them a sales development rep or something like that, because that's popular terminology. So just making sure you're using the language that other people are using, even if your job's not exactly the same, but it's very close to that, you're going to get more eyeballs on it. And the tighter your job description matches the job title, the more effective your spend is going to be, right? Because the way that cost per click uh, platforms work uh, and, and there's some moving away, like there's some cost per applicant stuff now as well, but you want people not to be surprised when they click on the job, right? You want them to see exactly what they expected. So make sure that there's tight alignment uh, and stay away from kind of creative titles, I would say. Yeah. We, and I learned that lesson too, um, about a year ago. I was like, I used one of uh, somebody in the group. I think it was Becca's. It was like looking for rockstar salespeople. And I'm like, this, we weren't getting what we needed. And I just started adjusting. It's interesting. So kind of keeping it, this was the lead intake person we were hiring. And I did that appointment setter slash sales. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, lead, lead intake. They're like the, in our company, they're the nurturers too. They're the relationship builders. And I started putting appointment setter slash um, 
one was customer oh, appointment center slash customer service. That was one that indeed spit out to me. And then yep. one, and then I started appointment center slash relationship nurturer, relationship manager. I started playing around with different things to try to attract different people. And then I finally got to a place where I think it was appointment setter, um, uh, relationship nurturer, work from home. And when I hit the work from home in the in the title, even though we were running the sponsored ad in three separate submarkets, um, it just kind of blew up at that point. Yeah. So putting that work from home, especially it's like, that's a really, that's a really common thing that people are looking for now. And again, it's like, like how you can't hit someone harder with the what's in it for the job seeker than putting it right in the title. Now there are Mm -hmm. restrictions on indeed, and they want you to mostly keep your job titles to uh, what the actual role itself is like get away. We don't, they don't want spammy titles on there, right? Like on Craigslist uh, because it just doesn't look very professional and it's, it's tougher. It's tougher to sort out the opportunities versus you don't want clickbait on your job seeking platform. Right. Right. Um, but I think work from home is something that uh, I don't think there's an issue with. And I think it attracts because the idea is like, does it provide value to the job seeker to know that it's a work from home position before I even have to click on it? That provides value to the job seeker, which means that's kind of the simple way to think about it. Um, they want to do stuff in the interest of the job seeker. Uh, and if it helps them, then they're generally for it. Uh, and that certainly helps. And uh, I'm not surprised it did a lot better. I definitely say for most of us, all these jobs are work from home. So really putting that in the title probably can increase your performance. Yeah, it just felt like it was almost like a Google pay-per-click ad, right? You, if, if the keyword, if the keyword, um, if they're looking for work from home, I wanted people to understand that they, I wanted it to kind of self-filter again. If they want to go to an office, we're probably not for them. Um, but if they want to work from home, uh, then, then we are. So, um, okay, so you, you've dropped a lot of gold bombs here, but going back to what you started from the beginning. So how do we get what we want? I think we spent a really good amount of time drilling down on that. Is there anything else that you want to talk to about how do we get the people we want, the attraction piece, or do you want to move on to how do we now hire the right people? I'd say one more thing about that, which is like, don't be afraid to be actively sourcing a little bit. I know like in a small business, you don't have unlimited time, but Indeed's got a resume database. I'm sure like other platforms have their targeting tools. And like, you might think that I know this really tough sales job that uh, if someone's really good at this, they'll be really good at, at wholesaling or lead intake and go into the company. You can search and see people who have on their resume that they work for that company in a sales role. You can see people have updated their resume recently, which means yeah. they're probably looking right. So like, on other platforms, they generally don't have the same level of visibility because when people are looking for a job, they're mostly looking on Indeed. And so to know that this person's out there applying for jobs that has this skill set you're looking for, it might not take you any more time than filtering through all the inbound resumes to actually just target 15 or 20 people who have who appear to have the skill sets and experience you're looking for and reach out to them directly. Yeah, that whole updating the resume is genius. So I I noticed that um, a few weeks ago and I was like, this is amazing because I can see what they're doing now. I can see that they've upgraded their resume in the past week, two weeks, three weeks. Um, And I would would really only then go in and pick people that had updated the resume last less than 30 days and then have the the skills that I was looking for. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people that are listening to this don't, like, I think as entrepreneurs, we don't pay enough attention to the details 
and all the valuable tools that exist, right? We'll go and we'll pay for a piece of software or pay for a service and we use it to 40%, 30% of its capacity. And that's what I love about, I mean, not to give props to Indeed because you work there, but we, we switched from another platform um, that pushes out to Indeed, by the way, over to Indeed because I just, I found it so helpful to have everybody, everybody's there, you know? Yeah. It's like a house party and everybody's at the house party. So yeah, it's fantastic. Like the, the access, you get access to so many people. I think it's just like search engines tend to be like monopolistic because when you have a big audience, you, you also, your AI and everything is learning faster, right? So you get better at delivering people the content that they want. Um, yeah, I think it's made hiring so much easier overall. And like, I wish that, I wish it was around when I got my first sales job, because like I said, I take a very rough 100% commission sales job. And I would, I don't think any talented young person now, like has the ability to, to get a job that at least has a base pay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about there is I think it's important for the audience to understand too. So when these people interview with you, they, they then once they interact, they can go in and drop a review. They can talk about your company. They can do all that kind of stuff. And I believe somewhere um, the response rate, like I try to get in there every day and I'll bulk message 25 people so that I keep my review you know, the, the, the algorithm that keeps track of my response rate is a company high. Yeah. yeah. I think that like, again, it comes down to the company's focus is really to try to, if, if you make things great for the job seeker, then employers can find everybody they want there and everybody wins. And mm -hmm. so as a platform, you're going to want employers to be reaching out thoughtfully, not just blasting every candidate who worked at a company, like to really be thoughtful about who you're, yes. who you're targeting. And, and the one piece of advice I would give is even if most of your message can be boilerplate for a given role, make sure you call out one specific thing from that person's resume. Then that, mm. that is why you're like reaching out to them. And if you did, if you do a search, it might actually be the same for all 10 people because you might be like, well, reach, I filtered this based on people who'd work for this company in this role. And you can basically say the same thing to all those people, which is like, you know, I saw that you had this, you know, a lot of experience at this company. We've had great success with people from that company. I think you'd be a great fit. Now it's personalized. Your response rates are going to go up and that person's just going to be more motivated because they think like, oh, this company actually wants me right? Yeah. They're not just reaching out and I'm one of a hundred people who they're just sending this message to. I'm someone that they particularly like, which means I've got a better shot at getting the job if I do apply, which means I should probably show up for that interview as well. Yeah. Great. Okay. Let's go then. Let's move on to how now that we've got, we've attracted all the people we want into our large part of our funnel. How do we hire the right people? Yeah. So I think there's like a handful of common hiring mistakes. And I think that like, if you want a book, if you're a reader reading who the A method for hiring is, is the best investment of time. It's a fairly short book, but I think if you were to say what the fundamental premise of that book, and I think it's true is the best predictor of someone's future performance is past performance, right? It's, it's rare that someone's 40 years old has never done anything at a high level in their life. And then all of a sudden they're a concert pianist, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. But we, we all know those annoying people who are, are amazing at five or six things. Right. And it's because how you become great at anything tends to be the same. And so people who get really good at one thing tend to get really good at other things too. So 
when you're looking for people for your team, people who have a track record of becoming very good at what they do, I think it is, is really the best predictor for you of how they're going to do for you. Um, the problem is, is that like a job interview is not necessarily the most honest place in the world, right? Yeah. Employers are not always telling you all of the unfortunate or unpleasant things, the downsides of their, of their business and candidates are not necessarily telling you, uh, the honest truth about how they performed and everything. So the focus of that book is really on making sure that you're getting the most honest answers out of people. And it really emphasizes actually doing your uh, reference checks, which is, I know something that like a lot of people don't do um, in Canada, we have laws around reference checks. Basically you can't call a reference for somebody that they don't provide to you in Canada. So I know in the U S the rules are a, a little bit more lax. So one of the things in the book they talk about is just saying like, so you're going to, you're going to go through someone's experience and you're going to ask them questions about, you know, their last three to four relevant roles and you're going to ask them questions like, what are you most proud of in that role? So it's the same questions for every job. Mm -hmm. um, what did you struggle with in that role? And what, what would your boss, so like, oh, what was your boss's name? It was Terry Berger. Okay, so when we talk to Terry and we ask him what you struggled with in this role, what's he going to tell us? Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm a candidate, I'm like, oh, they're probably going to talk to Terry. So if Terry's going to bring up the fact that I'm a little bit disorganized, I'm probably actually going to say that. Right. So it's about setting up the interview in a way where you're going to get honest answers. And like, it's okay. Like every candidate is going to have flaws. Like everybody has flaws. Like even if you're great at your job, there's probably, you're really great at a few things and there's some things that aren't your strengths. Right. And that's okay. Uh, but we want to at least get honest answers out of those things. So we can put someone in a role that they actually are likely to be successful in. Um, so I think that's kind of the key there is really the questioning that it has and like actually digging in and then doing the reference checks. And then the other thing where I think we often go wrong in interviews is like, we ask people to tell us about what they are, who they are, but we don't get the examples of how they are that way. Mm. Or you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, you could ask somebody, you know, you're, you're interviewing a salesperson and they say, you say, what do you think the most important thing, like what, what separates great salespeople from the rest? And they tell you preparation. Okay. Great. Uh, who's, what's the last new client meeting you had? They say, oh, I had a new client meeting with Microsoft. You're like, okay, what did you do to prepare for that meeting? Walk me through that. Hmm. You might find out that they didn't really do much of anything, right? Um, and that's because people's perceptions of themselves are not always accurate, but they also like, as you get older, you get more experienced. You kind of know how to tell people what they want to hear there's a difference between knowing the right things and being someone who consistently does the right things. And the way we ask interview questions, it's like, do you know what the right things are or do you actually do them? Right. We don't really, we're not able to distinguish that easily. And the behavioral questions are really how you do that. So digging in on things, um, asking those second and third level questions to really see like, how does that actually play out? Oh, you're, you're a great leader. Okay. Talk to me about uh, how that played out at your last company. What are, what are some of the things you did that exemplify that? Um, and that's, that's what I'd based on. Cause people, I just find that what people tell you doesn't necessarily line up with what you're getting. And, and it's, I think the behavioral questions are, are what addresses that gap. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we, we just interviewed an office manager and she'd been through the who interview, she had the screening interview, got through the next uh, interview. And then she, um, met with me as CEO 
<clears throat> and I met with her for an hour and a half. And she had been a branch manager for a couple of uh, large banks. And I kind of dug into her process, you know, what they expected her to do, how she executed. Um, it's really interesting when someone goes from a, a company that they adore, um, even if it's a big, you know, Fortune 500 company, and she was, uh, she, she got picked up and was working in an orthodontics office uh, part-time because she needed some flexibility with her kids. And it was really interesting. I came, I said to her, I said, you know, you have really long job history in your resume. I got to ask, you know, what, what's going on? Is he, you just don't like teeth or people's mouth. What's the deal with the orthodontics company? Right. And she said, she said, it was really profound. She goes, do you want the real answer or do you want the interview answer? And because I kind of phrased it in such a way that it was very playful, right. She gave me the real answer. And the real answer was, she was uh, worried that um, she, she thought the environment was kind of toxic. And um, the, the orthodontist's wife runs the company. And I said, so maybe it's the orthodontist's wife. And she's like, maybe. <laughs> you know, so she was great at the way she did it. But um, if you phrase it the right, right way, you'll get exactly what you want. Yeah, I think that it's a good point there. First, one of the questions that you would ask about each role is why did you leave? Mm -hmm. and Part of what you're just looking for is honesty, right? Because there's obviously an incentive to lie in interviews. It's like a first date, right? Like it's not necessarily fully indicative. And your job is to try to like separate the noise from what's real. And part of that is making people feel comfortable to have a real conversation. Um, so I think on the hiring side, like I like to be as transparent as possible. Um, ultimately, everybody wins if there's good job fit. If you hire someone that you view as a bad hire, it's probably not a great experience for them either. They're either gonna be struggling to accomplish the objectives of the role, they're gonna be potentially having unpleasant conversations about it. So it's not like they're winning in this situation either. So being as transparent, like if there are challenges at your company, like being honest about that stuff is likely to get some reciprocation, like because they understand that you're you're having a, 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 a conversation where there's significant candor, you kind of like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. like, me and this in this person are going to be real with each other, but like understanding why people leave, like great people have been fired. Um, you know, great people have, have quit jobs. Um, you can't tell just because someone got fired that they're not a great employee. Sometimes it's just fit or they got bored with what they were doing. And there's only so long you can continue to perform well while you're bored and disengaged, but trying to set up the, the situation such that they don't feel like this is something where they should mislead and try to impress you that you're someone who I can handle hearing that you were fired. And that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not going to want to hire you myself. Um, so creating that an, an experience that promotes that you're going to just get more from people. You know, you said uh, separate the noise from what's real. And I really think if you want candidates to, to be real with you, you have to shut up and listen and stop talking. Do you agree? Yes. So um, they should definitely be talking more than you are. And another mistake that some people make is they kind of upfront talk about what they, what are their priorities, what they care about and everything else. And you're basically just like handing the answers to the test over to the person across from you when you do that. So like, for sure, you want to talk about that stuff later in the process to make sure that there's job fit from their side, because you should not be misleading them either. Like you should be real with them about the situation. Um, but sometimes you'll see interviewers who do too much of the talking. It's like, you're not really learning about them when you're talking. Right. Just like when you're trying to wholesale a house, when you're trying to get a, a, a seller to sell to you, um, 
it's generally when they're talking to you that you're going to learn what what the buttons are that you need to press in order to get that deal right so i'd look at it the same way like it's really about getting them to tell you their story and to talk to you about them themselves and then once you know that this is someone that you're really interested in then it's time for you to to continue to sell the opportunity um but also again being real and selling against the opportunity in in certain cases like if it's a sales role that's 100 commission and you've had some turnover like that's not something you should hide from um, you should be addressing that stuff up front so that someone doesn't accept an offer from you. Once they're at your company, they're going to hear what happened with the people in the past. You yeah. don't want to think I was kind of bamboozled on the way in. And mm-hmm. now, now they're looking for reasons why it's true that those people were kind of like either pushed out or didn't work out and it wasn't their fault instead of coming in knowing like, hey, the last few few people maybe didn't work out because the company did this, this and this wrong. They've owned that. They've changed this. And now I'm in a position to succeed, right? It's a very different mindset. And I think too, you know, as a, as you don't want to hire the wrong person. I mean, especially in this business, sales, project management, we've gone through four project managers until we finally found the the rock star that we wanted from the beginning. Um, We've been through multiple lead intake people, multiple salespeople. You're going to stumble and fall, even if you feel like, even if you're doing all this stuff perfectly, but if you're doing all this stuff perfectly, you've got more of a chance of hitting that money ball, right? Where you're going to get that person either in the first, second, maybe even third try. But you're going to, when you get them, you, you like are elated, right? Almost giddy that you got that person. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. It's, it's all probabilities, right? There's no, there's nothing you can implement that's going to be a hundred percent. But if you're hiring for salespeople and they've crushed it at their last three companies, odds are if they're not crushing it, then it's your fault, not theirs. Right. Yeah. Like they, they were able to do it the last three places. So like people's past performance really is the best. And just knowing that that you've been honest with them when they come in, that they get what they were expecting. You're just the odds of you getting what you want out of that arrangement are much higher. Yeah, it's interesting. We hired a, a transaction coordinator and I joke, you know, she's the most talented person on our team and she's just a transaction coordinator, not just. I mean, that's a, a really valuable position and we need her skill set for it. But um, she used to help plan the Rose Bowl parades and sync all this like major stuff up with TV networks and all the marching bands and all the stuff, right? That you can imagine uh, with a big high profile parade like that. And, you know, she just wanted to be home with her kids. So we found out what, why, like she's insane talent, the skill set that we want, culture values, there's core fit that we want. And then all of a sudden it just comes down to the fact that she really just needs to step back from that for a minute. She still has that talent, but she's yeah. just going to do it a little bit different way and a little bit less stressful. And I think those are the openings that you're looking for. You got to ask them what their why is. You have to, you have to get to know these people. Yeah. And, and if you talking okay. is a, you know, I, I think we all like to talk, right? Like I just interrupted you. And in an interview, I'd be pounding myself because that person started to say something. It was important. And I, I need to listen. No. So, I mean, I interrupted you too, so shame on me, but I think <laughs> you said this was really good, which was like, we generally in this business can give people unbelievable work-life balance, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like, maybe it's not nine to five and occasionally you're dealing with a buyer at six or seven, but if you need to uh, run out for an appointment, you need to take your kids somewhere, like we can offer incredible flexibility, um, and there does, I do get the sense from most of the people, at least in seven-figure flipping, there is a bit of a family vibe to the companies themselves. And I think that 
that's a really great offering, right? Is that in the first paragraph of your job description? It probably should be like, what are the reasons that people would want to work with us? It's like, well, there's great growth potential, but also like, this is not like uh, someone's going to be harassing you nine to five about where you are. It's like they're deliverables and we understand that you're a human who has a life and other priorities and you can definitely make all of that work. Like, I think that's a big, a big reason why people would want to work with companies like ours. And I think that that should definitely be in our job descriptions. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, man, we're approaching an hour here and uh, this has been insanely valuable. I didn't, if there's anything else that you kind of want to, you know, breathe out on this podcast, I want you to have the freedom to do it. So is there anything else you want to share? I think, I think that kind of cut, I just say this, I would just kind of go back and reiterate because I think it's worth saying like, there's nothing that's going to influence the success of your business more than who the people are that work for your company. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I see often like when I was uh, selling at Indeed or, or managing people who were selling um, that owners of the companies rarely would want to get involved in this stuff. Mm-hmm. And everybody says, oh, the most important thing is your people. It's like, okay, then why are the people owning these companies and running these companies never wanting to be involved in that process? Like they hand it off to a junior person at their company who's never had experience doing this before. And they're just kind of like, hey, like make great hires or like bring us great candidates. It's like, if you really think it's important, get involved in it yourself, make it a priority, make your company understand that it's a priority, like that's something you take seriously so that when you do have those openings, like the right amount of efforts going into it and you're getting the right people on your team. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And if, and Hey, listen, if you've got a, a bunch of hires, you have to make, you can get some help. If you've got, if you have a bunch of hires, typically then you've got somebody else that can help you right in your company. So sometimes you can have like the, what I love about the who screening interview, it's the same four questions. And mm-hmm. so if you really teach one person in your company, if you don't want to do a hundred screening interviews, I get it. Um, you don't have maybe time to do that, but the next set of the interviews have to be you as the owner of the company. If you want to build a Super Bowl winning team, the coach, the coach is listening to all the people coming in and talking in his ear. But at the end of the day, that coach is sitting down with that player going, I want you to play for us. Right. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, and I think that's our goal is to go out and build Super Bowl winning teams or whatever sports analogy you want to use um, of world-class, whatever it is that you're trying to build and just go out and make sure you're, you're owning it or else it'll own you. At the end of the day, if you don't own the people that are on your team, they are going to own you because they're not going to be doing the things that you want them to do the way you want them to do it. Yeah. It'll take all your time, right? Like you can't be free to do the stuff you need to focus on if you can't rely on everybody else to do their part. And I think, you know, maybe we leave it with this. They need you as the, you know, you, just hiring them is not enough. You know, they, I feel like when an employee comes and works for us, they're taking this massive risk, you know, that we've tried to mitigate through the interview process and being very transparent, but they're still taking this massive risk to come work for you. And then if the onboarding process is terrible, well, now all of a sudden their fears were now affirmed and how long are they really going to stay? So you may have just lost the talent that you worked so hard to get in the door because you're on, and that's a whole other podcast probably is the onboarding process. But. It is, and it, but it's all, you're right. It's super important. Like you can definitely ruin a great hire. There's nothing in onboarding you can do that's going to save you from a bad hire, but you can uh, help yourself keep those top performers and make sure that that's, that's what they're coming in and that they live up to the potential they had when you first saw them. Yeah. Waylon, you're the man. 
Thank you so much. Dude, thank you for uh, volunteering your time. Come on the podcast. Um, Waylon McGill, everybody. Waylon, do you want to tell people how they can reach out to you if you want them to reach out to you, if there's a better way? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach out to me on Instagram, Waylon underscore McGill. Uh, add me on LinkedIn. I've been posting on there a bit lately. So those are probably the best two spots to find me. Okay. Sounds good, man. Well, thank you for all your time and your expertise. Awesome. Thanks, Terry. All right, man. See ya. Bye. Hey, gang, was that incredible or what? I mean, four or five pages of notes, just gold bomb after gold bomb on hiring. This is something that you should save and come back to over and over again. Um, Listen, are you going to be at Flip Hacking Live coming up in October? Did you get your ticket yet? If not, I just want to invite you. Like you, you heard what Waylon had. He dropped the goods, right? And that is the kind of stuff that you're going to hear at Flip Hacking Live. Not only that, you'll get to see people like Waylon on stage talking about this kind of high-level stuff. And um, not only are they there on the stage, like you get to be with these people and see them in the hallway and talk to them at the bar and all the great things that come with networking and being around highly successful people. So if you haven't, go get your ticket to Flip Hacking Live. Go to fliphackinglive.com and get your ticket. Figure out if you want to sandwich it around a vacation in Orlando and let's get going. I hope to see you there.